You're listening to Pre-Cana with the Pope, a podcast aimed at restoring confidence in marriage and family life. Hey there, everyone. This is Monica, and welcome to episode 64 of Pre-Cana with the Pope. In today's episode, we have the privilege of speaking with Father Timothy Gallagher. Together, we talk about discernment, consolation, and desolation, and the true gift that it is for couples to experience the spiritual life together. We're so happy you're here with us. Let's jump in. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have a guest, a special guest with us, Father Timothy Gallagher. He's an American Roman Catholic priest, and he's an author of many best-selling books on the theology and spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola and other themes that go along with the spiritual life. Some of the books include Discernment of Spirits, Discerning the Will of God, and Discernment of Spirits for Marriage, which is in particular we're excited to talk to you about. Um, But Father, can you take a minute to maybe just share a little bit more about yourself? Um, What drew you to St. Ignatius and and his spirituality and what brought you to where you are today? Well, what brought me to St. Ignatius was uh, something that's only happened twice in my life and which I simply know is God's grace. Just a a very strong attraction. It was not reasoned or arrived at step by step. But when I first heard about the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius, and this was when I was in my years of theology in in seminary, um, I just felt an attraction. I just... Something in me would not stop until I'd made the full 30-day retreat, which I was able to do just before final vows and diaconate. And that was a beginning. Um, the, other thing, the other thing that drew me that way was the founder of my community, the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, and that's the Venerable Bruno Lanteri. And I just fell in love with his life and spirituality. And actually, my uh, doctoral thesis combined these two things because I looked at the place of the Ignatian spiritual exercises in Venerable Bruno's life and then the work that he gave us to do. So that was how it started. But specifically, this work on discernment has arisen um, not because I ever planned it, but what has happened is that, well, I can still remember the first time that I gave a very simple, short presentation on Ignatius of Loyola's 14 Rules for Discernment, which are basically about making sense out of daily up-and-down spiritual experience in the spiritual life. And uh, I knew, and the people on the retreat knew, that something electric had happened in the transmitting and receiving of that material. In fact, that group then asked me to do this three times a year uh, for their people, and this uh, spread eventually through from retreats to seminars for spiritual directors and then for everyone, you know, for people in all vocations, including obviously the lay vocation. What has driven it is uh, the response of people. When people learn this clear, practical, usable teaching of Ignatius, and they realize that maybe for most of us, for the first time, I can now make sense out of what goes on in the daily experience of my spiritual life. And above all, I know how to identify 
and uh, reject and overcome discouragement, what Ignatius calls spiritual desolation, then they can't get enough of it. And so that's why it's become a, a full-time occupation for me at this point. I love sharing it because from close to 40 years now of experience of speaking about this and writing about this and teaching it, I know the effect this has. I'll just uh, add one more thing here. Uh, you mentioned the book, Discernment of Spirits in Marriage. The uh, most heartwarming feedback that I have gotten on that book from married couples is that um, they'll say, we're now talking together in a way we never talked before. Mm-hmm. Because now they, they have a language for this experience. Without Ignatius' help, we don't even have words for it. Things like mm-hmm. spiritual desolation, spiritual consolation, and then how to identify that, and simple, clear, usable rules on what to do about it. Um, I'll just, uh, well, I'll never stop here, so I'm just going to add one more thing. No, go then for it. Yeah, back <laughs> yeah. You. I just taught this in a, um, it was in a parish last weekend up in Oregon. We had about 200 people on a Saturday, and we went through as much of these rules as we could. And uh, when people were approaching me just to speak afterwards, among them was a, a woman and she just told me that she she wanted to thank me for the teaching because she and her husband um, had reached a point where they just didn't have a lot to say to each other. They'd probably been married several decades and more or more, and it was so refreshing for them to have something new to talk about and something on this level. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you bring this into the married vocation, it can be a real treasure. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, um, and for our listeners, this is kind of like a, an inside joke now, but I did mention to you that I started reading your books about five years ago. So around that time is when, um, we had some career changes in the family and I was a stay at home dad for about a year. And during my time as a stay at home dad, I just, I read the Lord really drew me in first a daily mass. And then from there, I started mm-hmm. reading so many spiritual books. I, I jumped into that's when I first was uh, really exposed to the theology of the body, love and responsibility, a lot of St. John Paul. Um, but, but your books also came up as well. And, and um, up until that point, I had a very roller coaster of a spiritual life. Like I would go from such high consolation and then, and then have huge drops. And, and that definitely affected our relationship as well. Cause there was times where I felt like, okay, I understand what the Lord wants in my life. And then suddenly it seemed like the week later, I was like, I have no idea what's happening. Um, yeah. And I know that that's not a unique experience to me. Um, so could you speak a little bit about what, what discernment is? And, and, and I know that's, that's a lot to ask, like to ask you to sure. do that is, is a lot, but sure. um, just even start giving an introduction to that and, and, and so that people can kind of know what it is. Yeah. The starting point is that as we live the spiritual life, we all experience what you just said, Renzo with our own nuances, but we all experience the same things. There, there are times of energy in the spiritual life when things are clear, when the mass draws us, scripture comes alive for us, the quest for holiness, new steps in living our vocations. Um, but if we're honest, we'll also recognize that there are times when the opposite seems to happen. And for reasons that um, often enough we don't even understand, you know, now the bottom just seems to drop out of that energy. And if I can say it reverently, at such times we don't really want to pray. And maybe we don't pray or we're not very happy with the quality of our prayer. And all that energy for new steps in the spiritual life, just all of that seems to, to wane. 
So these ups and downs are going on in the spiritual life of every man or woman who has ever loved the Lord Jesus for 2,000 years. If you read the saints, you'll see it there. Mm-hmm. What Ignatius does, uh, leaning on the church's preceding tradition, which he absorbs, but then uh, gifted by the Spirit, he shapes a description of this experience in such a usable, simple, clear way. It's only 1,231 words in the original, which is about three and a half double space pages. Uh, it's short. It's essential. It does need to be unpacked because it's very dense, and that's where right. people like me will write about it or, or, or speak about it. But it's it's clear. People can get it, and, and, and they can apply it. I'll just give you one example. Uh, in Ignatius' second rule, he is speaking about people. Now, in the first rule, he speaks about people who are far from God, so living far from God and in pretty confirmed serious sin. And he explores how the ones he calls the enemy and the good spirit. So just to clarify, enemy, by that he means Satan and his associated fallen angels. He means the uh, wound in us, which we call concupiscence as a legacy of original sin, and then harmful influences around us in the world. It's just the classic triad. And by good spirit, he means, obviously, above all, God himself, who works in the hearts of his children, whom he loves. He, he means the good angels, which we don't think enough about. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the power of God with them. Uh, the fallen angels don't. Uh, and then if there is a wound in us as a legacy of original sin, much more through baptism, is there in us a power of grace, uh, in the indwelling of the Trinity, sanctifying grace, theological virtues, all the virtues, gifts of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. And then uh, if there are harmful influences around us in the world, much more in a yes, fallen, but redeemed and loved world, are there endless influences for good? For, so, for example, the books that you read, you know, uh, the instruments of the good spirit and so forth. All right. What will the enemy and the good spirit do in differing spiritual situations? That's what Ignatius is getting at. Because if we know this, then we'll be able to recognize it in our own experience and know how to respond to it. So in his second rule, Ignatius tells us that when a person loves the Lord and is really trying, yes, the just one falls seven times a day and there's a penitential rite at the start of every mass and a sacrament of confession and so forth. But when a person sincerely doesn't want sin and does love the Lord and wants to pursue the Lord, living according to the Lord in our differing vocations, then Ignatius says what the enemy will try to do is to discourage the person, just gnawing at the joy the person is feeling, um, saddening the person in the spiritual life, making it seem impossible to go forward. You know, how many times have you tried this? How long has it ever lasted? You know yourself. You know this is not... You know, when I have groups in front of me, I ask people, have you ever heard those voices? Everybody smiles. Mm -hmm. We we all have. There's absolutely no shame in that. That's Mm -hmm. just living the spiritual life in a fallen, redeemed, and loved world. What matters is to know what's going on and know Mm -hmm. how to respond to it. All right. Whereas the good spirit will give courage and strength and inspirations and so forth. So, for example, the fact that you felt moved in that situation to start reading the things that you did, there, mm-hmm. there's an action of the good spirit, you know, an inspiration, which you ex- accepted and look at the fruits of it, you know. Yeah. All right. I remember this woman said to me after we'd gone through this, and this was a wonderful woman, life dedicated to the Lord, uh, clearly a rule to person, if I can say that. 
And she said, you know, I, I would hear this kind of thought or, you know, voice in my heart that would say, um, you're pretty mediocre. Mm. Uh, you're self-indulgent. You waste time. Uh, you don't reach out to people in the way that you should. Your prayer isn't worth very much. And I thought that was God's voice. Mm-hmm. to discover that that was not God's voice, but simply the voice of the enemy trying to discourage her changed everything in her spiritual life. And that's so only freeing. one of the rules. Wow. You know, as, as people absorb these rules, and my title for this biblically is uh, Setting Captives Free from Luke mm-hmm. 4. And when uh, Jesus in the synagogue reads from Isaiah, Spirit mm-hmm. of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives and let the oppressed go free. This whole set of rules is a pathway to freedom from these discouraging, saddening lies of the enemy. Jesus Mm -hmm. didn't come that we should be held hostage to these tactics of the enemy. He came to set captives free. And what I'll say is... um, You know, this particular book, Applying Them to Marriage, as far as I know, that's never been done before. Mm -mm. And I tried to make it as concrete as I could by, um, I I was about to say, creating two characters. In a sense, yes, there's no Mark and Anne as individuals by that name, but not created in the sense that they reflect uh, what I've seen for many, many years in uh, many people's experience. Uh, and so you, you you kind of see it lived out, and then mm-hmm. experience, and then um, clarification in the light of the corresponding rule from Saint Ignatius. And you know, it's only in marriage that you have the possibility for husbands and wives to go through this together. Mm-hmm. I can't recommend that too much. I know I want to be reverent. Some situations in marriage that may not be possible or not easy, uh, but it may be. Uh, possible in many more marriages than we think and uh, wonderful things come out of it. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's interesting. So um, I think it's in the introduction, you, you refer to the, uh, to your book as a semi novel um, because, because um, like you mentioned, there's in this book, there's, there's a character, Mark and Anne, and, and you kind of walk us through their story. And then throughout that, you're also guiding and applying the, the, the the rules of discernment. and one thing that I thought was brilliant is that um, you're able to read through that and then point out in ways that you're similar to the characters without feeling personally attacked in any way. And, and it's just, it's a very, it's eye-opening. And I think it you, defenses are down without even realizing that your defenses are down because you're not reading a textbook. You know, Renzo, that is a very, um, a very uh, fine observation. And you're absolutely right on this. Let's say like last week, I had 200 people in front of me or online, you know, it's many mm-hmm. more than that. And uh, people will let you into these places, these deep, sensitive places in their hearts, because they know that Ignatius understands what's going on, mm-hmm. that he reverences that experience. Mm-hmm. I'll repeat to people over and over again, the truth of this, there is no shame in experiencing these discouraging lies and tactics of the enemy. There's no shame. In fact, I say this so often that I have people repeat it with me. No shame, no surprise. Be aware, understand, and take action. Those are the three steps in discernment that Ignatius lays out for us. Be aware. Notice the spiritual experience that's going on in your heart 
and in your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Look at it until, with Ignatius' help, uh, for most of us, you can understand, okay, this is of the enemy, this is of the good spirit, and then take action accordingly. Reject what is of the enemy so that it can never harm you. Embrace and put into practice what is of the good spirit, as, for example, you did in following that inspiration to do the reading you know that, uh, that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So people open these places in their lives, these sensitive places, because they know that they're, they're loved there. They know that they're reverenced there. The only way to present this teaching is with reverence, um, the kind of reverence that Jesus has, <clears throat> excuse me, for every wounded heart that comes to him, wounded mm-hmm. heart, a wounded moral life, wounded bodies, there's always that uh, sensitive reverence for them. Mm. So this is a place where it is safe to enter into those deep places in our hearts and thoughts because we know we're going to be understood and we're going to be helped. Yeah, I think that that's so important because in times of desolation, so often we like the 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 cycle is isolation right we because we don't we don't we're not understanding why and we don't want to share with others because we might we feel shame for feeling desolation when we feel separated from god we don't talk about that enough and then when you have that experience in marriage then you actually start to isolate yourselves from one another and i felt like in the story that you that you shared that that was that was part of their battle at the beginning was even the isolation from one another and you said at the beginning and I think it's so important to make sure it's noted but like to put words to this to be able to communicate these inner workings with one another with our spouse and with the lord um is so freeing it allows for reconciliation. It it allows for that reconnection of relationship because we're no longer isolated and experiencing something all on our own. Um, So I thank you for that in that storytelling because, yeah, like you said, you can see yourself in that without feeling like you, you're like, Oh, I am not the only one, Mm -hmm. you know? And you, you said that too, in a room of 200 people, everyone's nodding, but we look at each other like, Oh, you too? I thought I was the only one, yeah. you know, and it, it's freeing to to not be isolated anymore. You know, at some, at some point in every presentation, I'll say to people, I've been teaching this for 40 years in every place with every kind of group, educational background, culture, and so forth that you could ever imagine. And not one person has ever yet said to me, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and everybody laughs, you know. Because, yeah. And so I tell them, we're, we're all brothers and sisters in this. There are no pedestals, including I'm not standing on any pedestal. Yeah. And I'll tell them that uh, when I describe spiritual desolation and the ways that we can, that aren't the most helpful, that we can respond to it, you know, refrigerators and smartphones and all the rest. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, at some point, you're going to ask me, Father Gallagher, how come you can describe this so well? <laughs> it's not just because I've read about it in books, you know. And so yeah. we're, we're all brothers and sisters. So that relieves, takes a huge weight off of people's shoulders that, um, this is another way I'll say it. If you go through these times of spiritual desolation, I should give an example of it. 
Uh, let me do that before I go yeah. further. So let's sure. let's um, could be a man or a woman. Let's make it a woman, and she's married, and she has oh, we'll say two or three children, and uh, the children uh, are at school. They're of an age where they are at school, and so she works part time in uh, a, a local high school as a special ed teacher. And uh, let's say that um, last evening she and her husband had a discussion about how she's dealing with one of their children who's struggling in a certain way. And um, she's doing the best that she knows how, but he's somewhat critical of uh, what she's saying. And it doesn't entirely resolve well. And that's a bit of a a burden on her heart. She knows they'll work through it, but there's a burden there. And then let's say maybe she didn't sleep all that well that, uh, that night. And then the next morning, uh, she just had a, a terrible time with one of her special ed students who was completely out of control and no discipline. And uh, the class was just a shambles. And so she has driven home now and uh, her husband is at work. The children are still at school. Another hour or so, she'll go to pick them up. And she sits alone in the kitchen with a cup of coffee there. And her Bible is there. Uh, for, for some time now, she has taken 10 or 15 minutes in that quiet hour in the middle of the day to read from Scripture. She loves the Psalms, and oftentimes she'll take up one of the Psalms. And she sits there at the kitchen table, and she looks at the Bible. And nothing in her wants to pick that Bible up. Mm. No energy for prayer. Doesn't feel God's closeness. And there on the table is also the smartphone. And everything in her wants to pick it up and maybe go on social media or uh, just go through a few websites, uh, maybe look at something on YouTube. And also she has a friend uh, who's always happy to, to talk with her, but she knows that their conversations always spiral downward and become gossipy. And um, so she tries not to to speak with her. But when she feels like this, just feeling alone and discouraged, there's also that uh, pull. Maybe I'll just call uh, my friend. Okay. So what's she experiencing here? In Ignatian terms, she is experiencing spiritual desolation. And that is a, a heaviness of heart on the level of her spiritual life, her relationship with God. Now, the enemy brings that spiritual desolation into um, just a natural vulnerability, I would say. A few discouraging things have happened, and she's physically tired. So there's a vulnerability there, and the enemy will willingly work in our just natural human physical and psychological vulnerabilities and brings the spiritual desolation. So first thing to say— no shame that she's experiencing this. Mm-hmm. It's a simply a tactic of the enemy. In fact, the fact that she's experiencing this is actually a good sign. It means that she's growing and the enemy mm-hmm. is trying to discourage her. Mm-hmm. There's no surprise that she's experiencing this. It's happened before. She can expect it to happen again. She can serenely uh, just understand that this is part of what it means to live the spiritual life in a fallen but redeemed and loved world. What makes all the difference here is, does she, can she live according to the wisdom that Ignatius is giving us? So can she be aware? Will she just blindly pick up the phone and you know spend her time on it and then finally go out to the car when she has to, probably feeling a little worse you know, than before she went on the phone? 
Uh, or will she say, wait a second? I love wait a second in the spiritual life and the discerning mm-hmm. life because she's beginning to be aware that there's something that she needs to look at. You know what? This isn't right. And you know what? I'm going to pick up the Bible the way I always do. And she picks up and she opens it to, let's say, Psalm 27, which she loves. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear, though an army encamp against me, and so forth. And she reads that, and uh, just a, a gentle return of peace comes to her heart. And she reads for the 10 or 15 minutes as usual, gets up from that, does some things that she needs to do around the house, and uh, heads out to to pick up her children. Now, it's precisely on this daily level, which is so important because this is almost all of the spiritual life. The big decisions, for example, happen once or twice in life, uh, our vocational choice, career issues, and so on. But almost all of the spiritual life is lived on the level of the decision this woman makes sitting there in the kitchen alone. If it were a man, I'd have him at 10 p.m. after a discouraging day at work or something, you know. Um, And we don't have to be defeated by the spiritual desolation. Uh, The good spirit is there giving courage and strength. So there's an inspiration of the good spirit there when she's just about to pick up the phone, let's say, and something in her says, you know what, I really need to read one of the Psalms right now. And she pursues that with the fruit that we know. And you can see that this matters. If she uh, is not aware, does not understand this simply for the tactic of the enemy that it is, and does not reject it, and does pick up the phone, the discouragement is just going to grow. The snowball will keep rolling down the mountainside. You can still stop it, but it gets a little more, a little harder to do. But if she can pick this up, be aware, name it for the tactic of the enemy that it is, firmly set it aside, and go right ahead with what she always does, the enemy, not only is she not harmed, but she grows every time she does this. She's Mm. getting stronger in living the discerning life. And that's why I'll just say this now. Uh, And I'm going to say this, anybody listening to this conversation, you're a rule two person. You wouldn't be listening to this if you weren't. I mean, whatever weaknesses we all have, you love the Lord, you want to follow the Lord and and serve the Lord and live the holy life. So you can expect all this to happen. Mm -hmm. Learn the 14 rules, I beg of you. Learn the 14 rules. Those of us listening who know them already, you know why I say this. (laughs) And those of us who don't, if you do learn them, you'll know why I say this. And you will look back on the time that you spent learning these rules as one of the better choices you ever made in your spiritual life. And I say that now out of uh, 40 years of seeing this in people's lives. Okay. Now, I've had so much to say that I don't even remember where I started. (laughs) You had asked me something. One of, well, sorry. I, I want to build off of what you said. So one of the, um, and if, I hope it's okay to just to, to jump from rule to rule just Absolutely. with different questions. Sure. Sure. Um, one of the things that I loved about learning about the rules was um, the rule five of never make a change in times of desolation. Because I know one thing I struggled with a lot was like, was, you know, my spiritual life isn't where I want it to be. I feel I'm in desolation and I'm I'm making poor choices because of it or, or or just not making any choices and being very passive. So then 
I would then make resolutions to like, I'm going to do all of these things and start changing my prayer life, changing my routines, which inevitably always led to me failing even more. And, and then, and finding myself in a cycle that I couldn't, I didn't really know how to break out of. And then learning that in times of desolation to just kind of, um, stay the course and, and, and see it through. And, and, um, how, how have you seen that applied to marriages? Cause I think that's something that happens a lot of times in marriages as well, that we might feel like, oh, there's, you know, there's something wrong here. Let's change things up. And, and, but, um, you know, so could, could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I couldn't be happier that you raised rule five. Uh, <laughs> rule five is the rule that people never forget. And, you know, I'll say this to, uh, to all of us who are participating here. If you were to forget everything else, you, you won't, you know, but everything else that Ignatius says about discernment, it's just a way of making a point. And I, I really, I beg of you, please never forget rule five. Rule five will get you safely through almost any spiritual darkness you may ever experience. So let's play it out. Uh, eight words. Uh, when I have groups, I have people repeat these twice after me. Um, so Ignatius says, in time of desolation, like the woman at the, you know, at the table in the kitchen, or any of us, in time of desolation, never make a change. So I will say that again. In time of desolation, never make a change. To amplify a little bit, what Ignatius is saying is this. When you are experiencing spiritual desolation, again, the woman at the kitchen table, never, when you are in desolation, change anything that you had planned to do in your spiritual life before that desolation began. So we can apply it to the woman at the table. She has the practice of reading scripture for, we'll say, 15 minutes in that quiet hour every day. And she's in desolation now, no energy for prayer, doesn't feel God's closeness. Of course, the enemy's going to try to get us to change what we'd plan to do. Uh, because if she does give up the scripture reading, then the desolation will just go on, which is what the enemy wants. Whereas if she does pick it up in the way that she usually does, probably that's going to be the beginning of the end, if not the end completely of the spiritual desolation. So in her case, rule five applies perfectly. She's in a time of spiritual desolation. She's thinking of just not doing the reading for 15 minutes the way she usually does. And so Ignatius says, in time of desolation, never, there are no exceptions, mm. never make a change to anything you'd plan to do in your spiritual life before the desolation began. So let me give uh, one or two examples just so that we really get a hold of this. You know, I can't tell you how many bad decisions in my life I have not made because of Rule 5. I am deeply, deeply grateful to it. Um, so here's, uh, let's say the same woman, um, still kind of the desolation lingering a bit. And she has that on her calendar to go to confession at 4 p.m. Uh, the coming Saturday. But the desolation sort of continues and prayer slipping a little bit. And maybe there's a little more phone or whatever than really would be right and so forth. Let's not be hard on her. We've all been there. Um, Saturday morning comes. She looks at the calendar. She remembers confession at 4 p.m. But she finds herself thinking, you know what? Maybe in these circumstances, it's not the best time for me even to make the kind of confession that I'd really like to make. Might be better to wait till next Saturday. Okay, two questions for her. Are you in a time of spiritual desolation? 
Yes. In a time of spiritual desolation, are you thinking of changing a spiritual proposal you had in place before the desolation began? Yes. Whenever the answer to those two questions is yes, what does Rule 5 tell her? Get yourself to confession at 4 p.m. exactly as you had planned before the desolation began, and very likely that'll be the end of the desolation. Let me just do one more. I think it's clear at this point, but Mm. this is so important. Uh, Here's a man who... He's growing in his spiritual life and uh, never made a retreat before, but a weekend retreat is announced uh, after Sunday Mass uh, one one day in the parish, uh, and he's kind of intrigued by this. You know, I wonder, if, you know, maybe that might not be a bad thing to try. Speaks with his wife. She encourages him. He signs up for it. It's uh, maybe three months down the line, and he's really looking forward to it, um, and then all right, if it's the man, let's say something, you know, there's a tension at work that's not going well. It's getting, uh, it's just kind of difficult to be there these days and that's kind of discouraging and uh, whatever whatever the natural vulnerability is, you know, and some spiritual desolation is floating in there. He usually prays a rosary app on the way home, but he's just gotten so discouraged that he just puts music on and uh, he he says night prayer. He started saying night prayer from the Liturgy of the Hours at 10 p.m. It's kind of his way of spiritually ending the day with a little examination of conscience. Um, but that's been slipping uh, uh, as well. And now it's a week away from the retreat, and he finds himself thinking, you know, way I am right now in the spiritual life, I might not get very much out of that retreat. You know, it might be better. I'm just going to send an email and say that I'm not able to make it, and I'll look for another retreat. All right, two questions. Is he in a time of spiritual desolation? Yes. In a time of spiritual desolation, is he thinking of changing a spiritual proposal that he had in place before the desolation began? Yes. Mm -hmm. In Rule 5, what does Ignatius tell this man to do when that weekend comes? In time of desolation, never make a change. Get yourself to that retreat exactly as you had planned. And probably that's going to be a wonderful new step in your spiritual life. Of course, Mm -hmm. the enemy doesn't want you to do that, you know. So uh, I could go on and on about that, but that's uh, that's so important. I I just beg of anyone listening, please don't forget Rule 5. Learn more about it if you can, because it is a great friend on the spiritual journey. One woman told me that uh, she and her friends say to each other, I take the fifth. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's awesome. Now, Father, this is, I guess this is more for for personal for Monica and I, well, personal for the ministry work we do. Um, So I'm also, we're also um, involved with the youth ministry at our parish. And I find um, there's times where we plan a specific event, a spiritual night, something, um, I do then like as the night gets closer and Monica will test this, like I get intense thoughts and feelings of like, you know, we shouldn't do this. We should change the plan. And I try, and I think most of the time I end up staying the course cause I'm like, this is, I, I'm going to leave it alone. Um, but sometimes I do change things just because I'm like, you know what there, you know, I don't know if this is right. I don't know. And I start overthinking everything. Um, and just from hearing you, cause usually I've, I've applied rule five to my personal spiritual life, but could it also be applied for ministry work and, and apostolate work as well? Absolutely, sure. In fact, you know, in the work that I do, I'm 
very frequently setting off, heading off to an airport for the next event or whatever it is. And I'll feel that same thing, you know, why did I get myself into this and other airports and, you know, all the rest of it. Um, I've actually come up with a term for that and I call that pre-event desolation. And I think that that term is very helpful. Uh, so there's no shame that you feel that. Of course, the enemy doesn't want something that a good thing that's going to happen. So you can expect to feel that. And actually, when I am discerning in the way Ignatius uh, invites us to be discerning, that is, I'm aware of what, what's mm-hmm. going on, and I can name it as the desolation of the enemy that it is, I actually have come to see that that's a good sign, actually. You know, if the enemy tries to discourage me ahead of time, it's because something good is going to happen. Uh, when, and when I see that, oftentimes that just breaks the whole power of it. Hmm. Application to marriage, um, talk to your wife. Share what you're feeling. You know, and wife, speak to your husband when, you, when you're going through it. You have a help right in your home that no other vocation has. Hmm. And it's a beautiful thing when husband and wife, you know, I remember one couple telling me that um, they had kind of a pact that when one of them realized that, let's say, he was in uh, spiritual desolation, he would text his wife, and uh, she, she would text back, and she'd be praying for him. You know, and they just would do this with each other. You know, when one was feeling this or or the other, it's a very beautiful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely, it can apply to any good work that we're doing. Sure. Wow. No shame. No surprise. (laughs) Be aware, understand, take action. So we've talked quite a bit about desolation and can we, can we maybe talk about consolation too? Like how can we, how can we recognize (laughs) consolation versus, versus emotional excitement, right? Like, cause sometimes we can feel positive feelings and attribute that to a spiritual affirmation maybe, or, or something, but, um, I do think that there's there's something important. There's an important distinction between Mm -hmm. consolation and yeah, emotional excitement. Yeah, because we've met we've met plenty of people who assume things are of the Lord just because they They feel feel good. good, They feel good about about it. Yeah. Um, Well, you touch on a couple of key things there. If Ignatius spends more of his rules on spiritual desolation than he does on spiritual consolation, it's because for most of us, we struggle more with spiritual Mm -hmm. desolation Mm -hmm. than with spiritual consolation. So he's very practical, and he gives us, I I think, the the richest set of tools anywhere in our Catholic spiritual tradition for responding to it. But— Obviously, if you ask what is primary in the spiritual life, what God does, or the discouraging lies by which the enemy tries to weaken our energy, both matter, obviously, but very clearly what God does uh, has the absolute primacy, and God only does one thing, and that is to pour out gifts of love. Um, And spiritual consolation is one form of grace that can God can give us. If spiritual desolation is a heaviness of heart on the spiritual level, spiritual consolation is an uplifting movement of the heart on the spiritual level. So uplifting movements, joy, hope, gratitude, etc., confidence, and so forth on the spiritual level. Now, to get back to the distinction that you you raised, uh, Monica, about 
uh, we'll call it a spiritual desolate, spiritual consolation. So on the level of our relationship with God as a grace from God. And then in my writing, I call it the other form, non-spiritual desolation or consolation. Non-spiritual doesn't mean necessarily bad at all. It just means it's on the natural level. Mm. So examples of healthy non-spiritual consolation. Um, you listen to some beautiful music and you just feel your spirits pick up. You get some exercise and you just feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you enjoy a meal with friends or with family and you, you feel kind of an uplift of, of heart. Chaste and Christ-centered love between a man and a woman. In people of faith, that's very close to the spiritual level. The joy of parenthood. Uh, working hard at a project and it goes well and you feel good about it. Mm. Um, being out with nature, with the beauties of nature. And we could go on with this. There, there is a whole array of healthy, non-spiritual consolations that God has built into our lives and intends that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. But spiritual consolation is on another level. So just as non-spiritual desolation, when we're tired or discouraged, creates a vulnerability for the enemy to bring spiritual desolation in. So the woman has the difficult conversation with her husband, doesn't sleep well, the difficult morning teaching. So there's a non-spiritual desolation there now, and that's a space into which the enemy may try to bring spiritual desolation. On the other hand, when there is healthy non-spiritual consolation, very often that will be the space into which God will infuse the grace of spiritual consolation. So if um, there's an example in St. Therese, it's in the last months of her life and her sister helps her. She's still able to walk at this point and she helps her, her uh, Therese just to get her out of the buildings into the uh, courtyard of the, of the monastery. And underneath the, the nuns kept hens and, and, and underneath the tree in front of them, they stop and they see a mother hen with the wings outstretched and the little heads of the chicks peeping out from under the safety of their mother's wings. And Therese stops and she just enjoys looking at a charming scene from nature. So if I may say it reverently here, she is experiencing non-spiritual consolation. It's just the enjoyment of seeing a charming scene from nature. She tells her sister later, uh, as she gazes at this scene, it dawns on her that this is the image that God uses in the Bible to describe his faithful, protecting love for his people. You know, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And mm-hmm. so often in the Psalms, hide me in the shelter of your wings. And then a, a warm surge of gratitude stirs in her heart as the scene before her speaks to her of God's faithful, protecting love for his people. Mm-hmm. So reverently, at this point, God has infused the grace of spiritual consolation into a wonderful experience of non-spiritual consolation. There's actually a third step because it further dawns on her that what she's seeing is the image not only of God's love for his people as a whole, but it's the story of her own life. That's what he's done for me. And then her tears fall so abundantly that she can't even talk. And hours later that evening, uh, she explains to her sister, Uh, what happened. Their sister wrote it down, which is why we have it. So very often, now the conclusion is, if we are finding ourselves tired and discouraged, and if, and then some of that's normal Mm -hmm. in in life, but if we find that it's a pretty consistent pattern, I'm always feeling kind of discouraged, um, always feeling kind of worn out. 
then maybe one of the best things you can do for your spiritual life, not only as a good steward of your humanity, which we're called to be, but one of the best things you can do for your spiritual life is to do something about that. Mm. Maybe a man's working too hard and just not getting enough sleep, etc. Uh, respond, because as you eliminate the non-spiritual desolation, you make the enemy's task much, much harder. Mm. And on the other side, uh, a certain amount of healthy, non-spiritual consolation is a wonderful thing, not just for our humanity, but for our spiritual lives, because that will very often be a space into which God will infuse the grace of spiritual consolation. Can I say more? I don't know how long I've been talking. Oh, no, so please, you gotta, please, yes. Oh. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> All right. We're learning one, so much. One more thing here, but you're in charge, you're, you're in charge of time here. Um I don't know if you, if anyone's seen the uh, documentary on the Carthusian monks, the French Carthusian monks. Mm. It's called Integrate Silence. It's uh, well worth watching. It's not like a regular movie, but it's almost more like praying or being on retreat. But you see, um, it's a powerful movie. I remember when I saw it in a theater, um, all of us left that theater knowing that we'd seen authentic spiritual experience. Mm. Mm. Uh, I don't think any movie left me feeling happy the way that one did because I knew it. I knew that, uh, well, in any case, you, you you see for two hours and 40 minutes, you see the austere penitential life of these monks. You know, very little conversation, uh, a rigorous lifestyle, frequent uh, returns to the church to pray the liturgy of the hours together, and then their different work and tasks that they have. But St. Bruno built into their rule that once a week they would break that silence and the monks would gather together and go out walking outside the monastery in free conversation just for a few hours. Once a week they would do that. And in the movie, if you watch it, you'll see them head out. So they're high up in the French Alps. It's a winter scene. Everything's covered with snow, the slopes of these, uh, these mountains. And they're dressed in their heavy white uh, Carthusian habits with hoods. And I remember when this happened in the movie, I looked around, everybody was smiling in the in, in the theater. Uh, to the surprise and delight of everyone, you see them, they're up at the top of a, a rise, and they sit down on the snow, kick up their heels, wrap the habit around their heels, and go sliding down <sighs> the snow. And they get down to the bottom, and they're all laughing and, and brushing the snow off. Now you can see they're going to go back to another week of their life with a whole new energy, healthy spiritual consolation, healthy non-spiritual consolation, just enjoying mm. being with each other and being a little goofy and so on, you know. Um, you can see the energy for the spiritual life that's there. So that's, that's another corollary of this. Uh, a certain amount of that is a, is a great blessing in that's, our lives. That's beautiful for com- comparing that to marriage, because I know like we've we've heard other people and we've even mentioned like you have to you know have to date your spouse uh finding ways to do things together you should enjoy your time together um and sometimes you you and I don't like I don't know if we've ever experienced this but you kind of get you feel a tension of like should we be praying more together like should we pray more together or should we go on a date or and, and there feels to be an either or type mentality whereas I like the the way that this really blends both because um, the healthy non non spiritual will could, will lead to healthy consolation that is actually of the Lord. Um, and I just I, I liked being able to think like that's how I'm thinking of, of what you're saying of of sometimes if if a relationship seems to to be in a bad place or or, or could be in a better place um, to not think that um, 
you know, us focusing on our relationship excludes the Lord in any way, but it actually could be in a way that is inviting him in. You know what I'd say there is uh, Ignatius' response to that would, would be, and this is always the way you learn whether you make your best choice. I think tonight we really should just spend some time together, you know, uh, rather than, I don't know, maybe go to church and pray together. Let's just have dinner together or whatever. Um, experience and then review of experience. Mm-hmm. So you make your best choice. Tonight we really just should spend some time together. And then uh, review it. You know, uh, I don't mean, you know, your your exam. You just enjoy the evening. But um, at some point, you might just want to, in conversation together, say, you know, I think we really should be doing this uh, from time to time. Because look what happened. You know, just we're closer together now. And we were able to talk about things in a way that we really need to. And we just enjoyed it and came back with new energy, you know, to the family and the children and the work that we have. You know, I'd say the fundamental reason why this conversation is important for married people, not only for married people, obviously, but there's a specific way in which this applies to uh, marriage because you have your spouse, you have your spiritual other right there in the house with you in a way that no one else does, is that if you get serious about the spiritual life, and I'm going to guess that anybody listening to this conversation is serious about the spiritual life, or you wouldn't have this interest. Uh, If you get serious about the spiritual life and you try to have a a real daily routine of prayer individually and together, and a life of the sacraments that uh, strengthens you and and, uh, fits well with the circumstances of your life, and you're trying to live your vocation as husband and wife, as father and mother, as you relate to your children, you're going to find that the kind of experience we've been talking about, both spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation, is going to happen. That's simply, as I said before, again, I don't remember, maybe I didn't. Ignatius, you can see he's not adding anything to the spiritual life at all. He's just helping us understand what's been always happening, just. That's huge because that sets sets captives free to respond in a new way. All of this is going to happen. And if we're not aware of this, if we don't have this formation, it's very easy. Let's say a tension arises between the two of you and you find yourself thinking, I thought we were getting closer together. It seemed like this was so wonderful, all this prayer and uh, spiritual life. But look at where we are. Nothing's changed. What's the point of all of this? Now, that's that biting, discouraging action of the enemy. If you don't if you're not aware of it, don't understand it for what it is and don't reject it, you'll, you could easily mm-hmm. just pull back because those times are going to come. No shame, no surprise, etc. But if you do have this formation, if you do know these rules, and that's why I beg of anyone listening, learn them. Uh, that's my deepest message here, really. Learn them. And you are able to understand, like the woman at in the early afternoon at the kitchen table, what's going on. Then not only will these times not harm you, uh, not only will you regress and just unhappily say, well, I guess mediocre is all we can ever hope for. Other people can be holy, but but not us. Not only will that not happen, but every time you discern, in this case, the enemy's discouraging lies and reject them, your marriage is getting stronger. Your individual spiritual lives are getting stronger and together. If you can walk this together, especially um, 
you're getting stronger as you live your marriage as well. So that's where all of this leads. And that's why I'm so happy that you've wanted to speak mm. about yeah. this. I'm so grateful for your your way of explaining and then also having these these examples for us because I think sometimes this married spirituality can feel mysterious. Like mm-hmm. I'm searching and I'm searching and I haven't quite yeah. figured it out. It's like a puzzle and, you know, uh, sometimes we might feel like God isn't giving us enough answers or the mm-hmm. church hasn't given us enough guidance, or we feel like we're searching and searching and it, it simplifies it for us, you know, that this is not something that we have to discover. This is what we are living, you know, and it's really about awareness versus, um, yeah, like finding something that's out there somewhere. It, mm. It's here. It's really about that awareness and that understanding so that we can then discern and make decisions and act. Um, so I'm so grateful for that, for your explanations of that, because I really think that that makes it so, um, so livable. We are living it, you know, mm. but now we can be, we can be free to live that and be aware of it. Now, now as we learn them, one question I have is, how can what's a, what's a the correct way that that spouses can go about uh, pointing out to each other or or raising the possibility that a spouse is in in desolation? So like if Monica is is struggling and I see that she's struggling and she's sharing with me but isn't able to to use the language of desolation, is it at what point do I I bring it up as a possibility like hey you might be in desolation right now? And and then we you know we talk about the rules together like let's this is what we have to do next. Um, how have you seen that play out? And like, well, how would you advise couples in, in going about that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the the foundation of being able to do that with any fruit is that each one of the spouses be trying to live this individually, you know, so that we really can't share this with other people unless it's something that we're trying to live ourselves. So I'd say that's sort of the foundation uh, of any help that one is going to give to the other. But as I keep saying, you have a help for it that nobody else has because you're not alone with it. Uh, If you can walk together, you know, in this, then, um, then it's so much easier so having said that, each one is trying to live this. The only way that we would uh, approach a spouse, you know, and say, try to help the spouse with the experience, it has to be done humbly. There's no pedestal. You know, I'm strong, but look at you struggling. None of that can be there. Um, and it, it has to be done not as a spiritual director. You're not trying to be formal spiritual directors for each other. Your spouses friends, you know, uh, sharing a life in the Lord and sharing a common vocation. And so if it's done that way, um, then it's going to be received and it's going to be helpful. I remember one time that um, I was in spiritual desolation, had been for a few days, and it was partly my own. I was provincial at the time, and so there was a lot of international travel, and I'd get back pretty tired from that. And what I was doing unwisely in retrospect, I would go off to a retreat house and just spend a few days there to kind of get my energy back. Uh, and maybe that was true, but I was too alone when I was already mm-hmm. feeling, you know, pretty worn out. And uh, one of those uh, times uh, I had planned to have dinner with a priest friend and I honored it. And so just as friends do, you know, I was just telling him what I was experiencing And not trying to be a spiritual director, but just a friend. He said, you know, 
Sounds like you're in spiritual desolation. Bingo, a big light went off. <laughs> oh, okay. With his help, just as a friend, I was able to get to that understand where I, when I was not able to get there on my own. And it changed the whole thing. So uh, husbands and wives, I think, can be very, very helpful for this. Recognizing that this is normal experience, both will go through it in different times and different ways. It's normal, but you can help yeah. each other with it. Yeah, and I think that's um, just, as you said, as a friend knows you well, right? Your spouse knows you well. So we can sometimes speak to one another from an outside perspective, but also from an intimate perspective of like, I, I know you well, and I know how you how you normally think. I know how your spirituality normally is. And, and you know, something's off here. And sometimes when the, we're the ones stuck in the middle of it, we don't see it. So it's, it is, it's just so helpful to have those, those holy friends in our lives. But as spouses, we have that special gift of, of, having that as part of our vocation. You do. It may be, Ignatius actually says this in his ninth rule, that one of the reasons why God will permit us at times to go through spiritual desolation is because in in a very salutary, blessed way, it Mm -hmm. keeps us humble. So when you know that the last, let's say when I know, I'll say it of myself, the last time I was in desolation, I struggled to even want to pray and I headed to the refrigerator for the third time and so forth, you know, all of those kinds of things that we do, then uh, I'm not going to be standing on any pedestal when I see somebody Mm -hmm. else, you know, in that situation. Mm -hmm. I'll be Mm -hmm. a brother. You know, you can be brothers Mm -hmm. and sisters, or as you say, spouses to each other. The more you live the discerning life, I think the humbler Mm -hmm. you become in a very, very blessed way. Remember that for Ignatius, uh, that humble space, that rich biblical space of humility is the space that opens us to every other virtue. That's beautiful. Yeah, so um, there's there's so many questions I want. Well, this is, I guess you can yeah. edit this. Yeah, how how long have we we're, been going we're here? We're close to we're close to yeah, yeah probably we're an hour. Right there's just so hour. many. The, the, I, honestly, we could we could listen to you, just because there's so much wisdom that that you're giving us, and even having read the books and 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 read the rules, I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. Um, and it just it, it does spark a fire of like, yeah, I want to, mm-hmm. I want to integrate this back into my spirituality because, um, there's just there's just so much there. It, it's so rich. Um, so thank you for, for sharing that wisdom and especially sharing the examples of how it can enhance our shared spirituality. Cause I, I don't think as much as we knew, we knew them not to, f- we, they're not fully part of our shared spirituality. And I do see that that could help our, in the same way that way that we communicate about, you know, difficulties throughout the day with the kids, with work, um, giving us a language just to share about the difficulties within our own spiritual lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it gives us that language like you were mentioning at the beginning. Yeah, no, I definitely feel re-inspired to to be living this more deeply. So I, I appreciate so much your time. I'm you know, I almost forgot that like we're sitting here recording for other people to listen. Yeah. I was like, thank you so much for this this time this evening just for us. <laughs> You're very welcome. You're so, very welcome. Um, yeah. Well, it's been very nice just oh, to meet thank you. Too. Um can you share with with the listeners because we're I'm I'm remembering that they exist now. Um where where can they start to find some of your resources or what would you recommend they they've listened to this and they said okay this isn't something I've heard of before or I heard about it once and I 
or wherever they are in their journey of discernment and learning about um, the 14 rules, where, what can they do next? What can we do after pressing play and moving on? Sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I would think in this case, because our context here is marriage, probably a good starting point would be the book Discernment of Spirits in Marriage that we've been talking about. It's a short book. It's easily read. And I think it would uh, it would help anyone individually, husband or wife who reads it, if there is the possibility of sharing that. I think you would find some really wonderful things happen um, if, you, if people do that as a couple. I have a website, which is just FR for Father, frtimothygallagher.org, and all of my resources uh, are available through that. If people want to go into it further, then I would say probably uh, read the book, The Discernment of Spirits, An Ignatian Guide for Everyday Living, which will take you a little more formally uh, through each of the 14 rules. I've done um, podcasts on this, which are, I think, a great way to get into it while you're driving or exercising or getting a meal or whatever it is. And uh, you find these on uh, a wonderful Catholic app, Discerning Hearts, mm -hmm. Discerning Hearts. It's a free app. You can just download that. You can listen to it. There's also a website, discerninghearts.com, so you can listen to this through the computer as well. But let's say, for example, if you download it on the phone or a tablet, um, when it opens up, just tap on spiritual formation, and then a list of speakers will come up. Tap on my image there, and it will take you right to a, a whole series of podcasts. But the first series is the one that is called The Discernment of Spirits, and it'll take you through the complete set of, of uh, 14 rules. I think it's 16 half-hour mm -hmm. podcasts. I've also done this as, a, and that that's available everywhere. Um, you know, go on iTunes or Google Play or anywhere. Uh, you'll Spotify, whatever you'll find it. Um, if people use uh, Formed mm -hmm. from the Augustine Institute, it's also available uh, on that. If people want to learn visually, then uh, I did this as a 10-part series on EWTN, okay. um, 10 45-minute uh, talks, and the DVD awesome. of that is available through EWTN or through my website. So that would be another Excellent. tool. Really, all the tools to learn it are there. Um, the book, The Discernment of Spirits, has a reader's guide if someone wants to take a group through it. And of course, the podcasts and the visuals. So th those are being used in a lot of places. Excellent. So it's very so it's there. And I'll make sure to put all the links in the show notes. Um, so any listeners that 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 as, like us feel, feel inspired and feel a... I, I believe it is the good spirit drawing us to, to to want to learn more i i, I would i'll put the show notes in there and hopefully they can like you said the resources are there now so the ball's in our court when you share this people will love you because they know immediately what you're talking about and for the first time for most of us they're beginning to understand the shame drops away confusion and uh, a wonderful path and you know it's more important than ever now because there is so much less support around us it gets more and more important to have um greater more and more personal formation and understanding yeah. our spiritual mm -hmm. uh, experience so it's very yeah. timely in a way that i could not have foreseen when i first began working on this you know yeah. well you need to get to bed <laughs> <laughs> well thank you guys so much for listening we're so glad that you're here with us 
Be sure to tune in next week and we'll see you at the next episode.